Good afternoon and welcome to the show. What a week I have planned for you. Uh, some great guests that are going to be joining me. Mr. Robert Hogue, Senior Economist from RBC. Mr. Benjamin Tall from CIBC Capital Markets. Both these gentlemen are very well-versed economists and always a pleasure to have on the show. But before we get started with them, I've got Greg Benell from BNN joining me. And uh, welcome back, Greg. Always a pleasure to be here. So, you know, you and I, uh, every every about, you know, month to six weeks, we like to check in and... It seems like there is so much going on, so much news for us to always talk about. You and I laugh about it, you know, normally <laughs> off air, but there is just always something going on in real estate. You know, we're not talking, you know, the the crazy multiple offers of the spring, but we've got so much going on, not just from, you know, financing and, and you know, the interest rates going up, but again, the markets, they're, they're doing a seesaw for us right now. So uh, where do you want to start this week? I guess we could just sort of start with uh, what might be called somewhat of a price recovery. I mean, in, in the greater Toronto area, we know that from that average frenzy price of that uh, 920000 in April, it, it came down about 20%. But from August and September, that average price actually firmed a little bit. I mean, it didn't get anywhere back up to nine twenty, but it moved up a little bit higher. And uh, a lot of people I'm talking to are saying that's because the actual city of Toronto itself, like that proper 416, and even if you drill down further to what used to be the city of Toronto and not in the outlying areas, that actually held up a little bit better. And the demand uh, for the single-family home, which is in short supply, and definitely the condos, is very strong in that area. The people I'm talking to, including uh, John Pasalis or Philosophy, saying it's really the 905 where we started seeing the mania push out. And, you know, the drive till you can afford kind of thing makes a lot of sense in a hot market. But actually, the 905 seems to be taking it uh, harder on the chin than the actual city centre itself. So the average prices are starting to stabilise a little bit. I mean, sales volumes are still down 30 40%, depending on where you are in the city. So it's not like the all-clear has been sounded, but it seems that steep decline has found some sort of a plateau at the moment. But as you said, there's always there's always something around the corner when it comes to real estate. We can't call a bottom until we know what the next regulation to come down the pipe is going to be. Yeah. You know, one of the things, Greg, you know, you and I have talked about the, the cycle of the real estate market. And, you know, in the past, we always saw the spring cycle, you know, obviously everything ramped up, number of sales go through the roof. You start seeing the summer, it starts to settle down a little, little bit of a bounce back in the fall. You know, everybody's a little bit slower through the Christmas time. That's kind of season. But the big thing this year is that, you know, I, I don't know if we actually returned to the norm because for the last two years, you know, we never saw the drop off in the summer market. In fact, the heat remained in 2016 right through the summer market, right through the fall. We didn't see, you know, the gas let up. You know, with a bit of the downturn, you know, there were so many things implemented by the wind government, but can we actually look at it and assume that maybe the cycle has slightly returned? So that's why we might have seen a little bit bigger decrease than than what people had anticipated? Yeah, that was the big hope for the industry, right? And all, all the people who make their living off of this is like, don't worry, the back-to-school buyer, the September buyer shows up again after the summer doldrums, which of course, as you pointed out, we didn't have over the past couple of years, and everything's going to be all right. The volumes didn't really speak to that, that they showed up on mass. So of course, now you push forward, maybe that expectation for October, but as you said, the closer we get to the holiday season in December, and then the cold weather starts blowing in, and then people don't want to go to open houses or even think about moving or buying. So I, I think October, I think maybe the next couple of weeks is going to be pretty critical to see if that buyer actually comes back. But it was funny, uh, Lauren Hoff from Zucasa was recently on, on the show House Money, and she was telling me that there's still a disconnect out there. The sellers in Toronto still think it's a seller's market. So they're waiting for everyone to line up in their curb and bid them to the moon. 
And uh, the, the buyers still think that they can get a great bargain. Of course, the truth always lies in the middle of somewhere. But yeah, the, the two forces sort of haven't met each other in the middle yet with some sort of realistic expectation of what kind of real estate market we're actually in right now. Well, you know, interesting point, because when you talk about the buyers and the anticipation that the market needs to drop further before they actually, you know, jump back into the market, you know, they were up, they were buying at a feverish pace back in the spring. You know, we saw the numbers, we saw the volume, you know, it just, it was going through the roof. Now, is it, is it maybe just wishful thinking that they're going to want to wait until, it, let's say, prices return to 2015? Because right now, I would say most of the industry experts are saying we are not going to return to that price range. In fact, we, if we're close to bottom uh you know if we if we do a parallel right now we're we're basically uh, maybe two percent higher than we were in 2016 october so mm -hmm. we're really kind of hitting that 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 leveling off point but you know is there is there 20 to 30 percent left in the market to go backwards if there, were, if we actually went down twenty to thirty percent, I think, uh, and some of the economists you could have on the show, and I've spoken to them before as well, the catalyst for that is another recession, uh, jobless rates go a lot higher, and then you might not be in a position to buy a house either, because if you're one of the casualties of a recession, or even the the psychological effect a recession has, the last recession. I managed to keep my job, even though I'm in the media industry, and it was some pretty tough times. But I didn't feel confident in going out and spreading the money around because I didn't know what the future would hold. So either you're a victim of the recession and you won't be a buyer, or you're uh, someone who's a little uh, scared by everything that's happening around you. But yeah, that's the basic case scenario. And I've sort of been convinced about that with the people I've talked to, that markets, whether they're financial markets or housing markets, they don't just correct because the prices are too high. There's a catalyst there. And in housing, the catalyst in Canada, particularly the way we buy and uh, pay off our homes is just your job. Do you have a job? Can you make the payments? Then you're going to ride it out. And if you don't, and unemployment soars through the roof, the housing market then could correct in a major way. But then we have a lot of problems, not just the housing market. Sure. So let's let's go uh, out west for a minute. Um, you know, over the last couple of weeks, I always uh, I bring in Ramana King a lot because she's uh, she's now living out there. Was situated in Toronto for years. You know, editor uh, at Many Cents for many years. And you know, she's been following the market out there. You know, they they have seen what most people would deem to be a recovery you know from what they had as a low last september you know the prices are up substantially uh you know volume still is not quite at the same level but they're finding that their pricing uh, seems to go up what do you think is the the actual you know going on in the western market this one's really interesting to me particularly vancouver because the vancouver condo market has been so hot that's where the bidding wars are happening now the big price gains and i've actually asked some people out there uh, steve soretsky actually uh, runs the van city condo guide and i talked to him recently and said, can we actually decide or sort of ascertain what's going on here? Is this simply a matter of affordability? If you can't, the first time buyers probably not going to buy a $2.4 million home in Vancouver. They're probably going to buy a condo for three, four, five hundred thousand dollars And then they all flood into that space. The competition ensues. Is it that? Or is it simply the, uh, the short-sighted and short-term uh, property flipper, investor, looking just to cash in and get in on that new hot part of the market. And he said there's definitely some investor activity there. You get a bit of, that, a bit of a mix there. So what's really going on? I think affordability is a big part of it. You know, if you can't afford to get a home that stands on its own or even, you know, a semi-detached one, then you're into the condo market. But I think as soon as that starts playing out, then the investor starts saying, that's where I'm going to make my next buck. That's where I need to be playing.
Hmm. You know, interesting because with uh, with the condo market out in Vancouver, you know, they, they still say that they've got an inventory shortage. They implemented uh, back August the foreign buyer tax uh, of 2016. And now they're trying to indicate that you know foreign buyers are now coming back. They're either accepting the price. You know, we've heard the stories in the media about, you know, f- the foreign buyers coming in, putting it in somebody else's name. I think you probably saw the same story I did. Uh-huh. There was this couple, they weren't married, you know, the 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 investor slash foreign buyer uh, put it in the boyfriend's name now he's turning around not doesn't want to give it back to her and you know it's interesting because they they're trying to indicate that there's a lot more you know I, I guess questionable uh, activity going on for the foreign buyers to come back what do, do you see any of that or is it just is the demand still the demand uh, I think the foreign buyer is starting. I think you, you hit it on the head there. The 15% at first, it shocks everyone. It shocks the domestic buyer. What are the rules of the game now? It shocks the foreign buyer a little bit. But then you sort of step back and all the reasons we hear why the foreign buyer wants to be here. Because even with the run-up in the Canadian dollar that we had over the summer, real estate's still on sale when it comes to currency exchange rates for the Americans, for the Chinese, for a lot of other people. And in the end, if you're trying to get your money out of China, you've got some wealth and you don't trust to leave it in that country. They look at Canada and they say, there is safe, dependable Canada. And home prices went on a bit of a tear. And even though they're not on a tear anymore, it seems that they're still comfortable putting their cash here. So it's uh, it's sort of, uh, it's frustrating for the local person to see a lot of money, well-heeled money come into your market. But they look at it from a completely different perspective. Like, if I put my money in Canada, I'm pretty sure it's going to be safe and I'm actually make a little bit of an investment. It just, it's just an equation on a spreadsheet that just makes sense to them. You know, interestingly enough, that report that came out and said that um, Canada's most inflated market almost in the world and that they're saying, you know, and again, this is an investment company that advises people when they're doing, you know, investments in other countries. And I kind of find it interesting that, you know, they're, they're calling Canada out as being the most inflated market. And, you know, a lot of people took this to heart, but yet these people are the ones who are making money from investments. It's not like this was a government study. What did you think of that report? Yeah, when you sort of talk about, for all the reasons that are in there, yes, we know we're carrying record debt loads. Yes, we know that uh, the price appreciation is far outstripped anything we've seen in, in incomes, but we still can't seem to shake, uh, as we were talking about, this perspective from from foreign buyers that we're actually a pretty good bargain. So yeah, they, they've got all these warning signs ahead of them, just like we have warning signs domestically about the fact that we have too much debt, we're counting on low interest rates to carry us through all of our commitments, whether it's a mortgage or the car or the credit card. But uh, yeah, maybe the foreign buyers just like us, we're just not listening because we've been told in this country for a long time. I remember Jim Flaherty when he was finance minister, Mark Carney, uh, the Bank of Canada central governor. And basically they would come out and wave their finger at us and say, yeah, you need to stop doing that. Seven, eight years down the road, we've not stopped doing that. <laughs> you know, and it's it's going to be interesting because um, we've, uh, you and I have got lots to talk about yet. Um, you know, I'm going to ask that you stay on uh, into the, our, our next part of our program because uh, right now, lots of changes going on. You and I are going to talk about, you know, the idea of, of multiple representation, mm-hmm. how they think they're going to get around this. There's all sorts of things. So if you don't mind staying put, that would be great. Sounds great. Excellent. So folks, if you're just tuning in, uh, I've got Greg 
Benell from BNN House Money with me. And later in the hour, I've got Mr. Robert Hogue, Senior Economist at RBC, and Mr. Benjamin Tall from CIBC Capital Markets. They will be joining me, and we're going to be talking, you know, what is truly going on out there. Hey, listen, by the way, if you want to reach out to me, you can always reach me at thesimpleinvestor.com. Lots going on. We're just kind of finishing up the year. We've got some projects that are coming to light, and I know everybody is very anxious about being able to get into their well-managed investment property. So go to thesimpleinvestor.com, and you can always reach me. Like I said, coming up after the break, I've got Greg Bennell joining me again. He's going to stay on with me, and um, we're going to be talking uh, you know, a little bit more about some of the rules and regulations that are being changed. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest right now is Greg Bennell. He is from BNN, and he is the host of House Money. Uh, Greg, just before the break, you and I were talking a little bit about what's going on out in Vancouver, how we're watching the market bounce back. Uh, but now Ontario, you know, some rules and regulation changes, you know, government was uh, being f- flagged to step into the this multiple representation and uh, some new rulings that are coming down. What do you think? Yeah, they're proposing to uh, change a whole bunch of laws. And one of them would be this idea that you can have one agent representing both the seller and the buyer. And some people who aren't as savvy about what happens in the real estate world, when you explain this to me, you say, wait a minute, how can that work? Isn't there a conflict of interest? And indeed, that's the big concern, right? Because the seller and the buyer, when they're talking about the best price, they're talking about two different things. The seller wants the highest price they can get for their property. The buyer wants the lowest. So if you have one agent in between, a lot of people are saying, you know, this is a, this is a dirty pool. We don't like it. And in fact, if you have an honest broker in between that, then, you know, I've been told it can work. But then we've seen a lot of reports of abuses in terms of that person in the middle just having way too much power. Uh, So some people have said, you know, let's just end it all together. Ontario seems to be going another way. And this is proposed legislation right now, but uh, they're not going to apparently ban the practice. What they're going to say is that if you have a situation where you have one agent handling, you know, the buyer and the seller in a transaction, uh, when it comes to actually hammering out that deal, they become an impartial facilitator. So that's supposed to take out their self-interest on either side of the party and take away that conflict of interest. But there's a few people people in the industry are saying, oh, wait a minute, isn't that the moment you've hired an agent? You know, I'm not a real estate agent. <laughs> I would never attempt to handle that transaction on my own. Isn't that the moment where we're hammering out the fine details, including price, that I want that expert representation? I want that advice. I don't want an impartial facilitator. So some questions being raised about that in the industry as well for some people who don't uh, think double representation is a good idea. Now, the Ontario Real Estate Association came out after the Ontario government said this is the direction we're planning on going. They said they like it. You have followed our recommendations. The, the impartial facilitator, this is sort of where the road they want to go. But other people are saying, I think that's the moment where I actually want the person to be in my ear giving me the advice. Otherwise, what are they there for? Yeah, I think it kind of defeats, you know, uh, having having spent about 25 years negotiating real estate, I can tell you it kind of defeats the act of uh, of representation by an agent. Like uh, it sounds more like mediation. Uh-huh. And you know, at that point, you know, when 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 somebody's truly trying to get a job done, I think you can only wear one hat. And you know, like I said, you know, I I fortunately was able to negotiate thousands of deals and very very, very few times did I ever step in the the ring of multiple representation, meaning working with the, both the buyer and the seller, because I felt always that you're kind of at a disadvantage because no matter what, 
If you're the listing agent and you've signed the contract with the seller, that means that you're under contract f at first with them. Uh -huh. And let's say somebody comes through an open house and they say, oh, you know, I want to work with the listing agent because maybe I can get a better deal on, on the commission. How is it that, you know, the, the actual seller's agent is going to now flip his hat and say, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to be aggressive on that purchase. I'm now going to play fair. And hey, listen, everybody, kumbaya. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a tough one. And I got to tell you, even though I'm pretty sure there's a few, few guys out there that are saying, hey, Todd, you know, we can pull it off. You can, but, you know, based on the market that we just went through, you needed kind of that killer in, in the ring for you. You know, you had 75 offers coming in or five offers or two offers or one offer, you still need that representation. And, you know, I think I think a lot of people were rolling over because they were just thinking that the deal could get done. Oh, exactly. And that, I mean, that's what you want. You want your guy to go. And the two times in my life that I've, you know, my wife and I bought real estate, our guy went in there and his job was to talk him down and to get other concessions and this and that. And it just seems strange that you would have someone just come out and say, oh, I think what they're asking is pretty fair. <laughs> that's, the wor that's the worry, right? It's like, sure. I think it's pretty fair. You better go for it. And you're like, really? I thought you were going to go in there and uh, bring them to their knees for me. Yeah, that's what, what I want my guy to do. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and what happens is that, you know, and, and quite frankly, they've always, even, even when the market does switch, the seller is the one who all, has the ultimate say normally uh -huh. because they're the ones who can reject the offer you know a buyer can put it forth but now what we're seeing actually we're seeing a little bit of a role reversal where sellers are actually coming backwards there's been uh, some talk in the industry that you know a couple of people are saying listen i know that offer died last week but maybe you can go back to the buyer and see if they're still interested and so we're seeing a little bit of that actually poking its head out especially for some people that might get uh, they might be trapped you know that they have to sell the property because they've already bought something else yeah and this week's house money i was mentioning i spoke with Lauren Ha, the CEO of Zucasa, and she was saying she has more concerns when it comes to uh, double representation that uh, it's actually the seller that's leaving a bit of money on the table. And she said she's actually seen some things. You think, you think maybe from the buyer perspective you're not getting represented, but she was saying she saw a few recently that she thought, mm, I think the seller probably could have got more for that. And, and that's what you want in the end, right? You, you get the most out of your investment if you're selling it. Yeah, you know, one of the, one of the number one questions that a lot of the, uh, the pros are asked, of course, is, and what is your commission if you sell it yourself? <laughs> and, and I do believe that the people in the transaction are kind of, you know, let, let's say somebody gives you a 2% wiggle room. You could be, you know, overpaying by 5% or, you know, you may be leaving so much on the table that the 2% is really negligible. So, you know, they're taking the power of the negotiation out of the deal. Yeah, and in the end, by saying, okay, we're not going to ban the practice altogether, we're going to bring in some more rules to try to make it more fair and more transparent and you just, you know, it's government. There's always a rule layered <laughs> upon a rule layered upon a rule and you're like, okay, another rule. Let's see if I can figure out how this one's going to play out. All right. Speaking of rules, Bank of Canada, are they going to be changing the fact that uh, with 20% 20 20 down and we were talking to Dave Butler about it, really the people that it affects is the five-year fixed mm -hmm. where they're going to have to do the stress test. Is that going to come to fruition? You know what? The banking regulator, OSFI, is not backing down. Jeremy Rudin was in Toronto giving a speech and, uh, he, and afterwards he was asked about that. He made it pretty clear in the speech that they're not going to sit and wait for trouble and then try to catch up to it if they want to get ahead of it because this is the whole 
whole idea. If you go in for a mortgage, and even if you have more than 20% down, they're still going to stress test you at like 200 basis points higher. The idea is that makes the financial system more secure and less uh, susceptible to a shock. And he wouldn't back down on it. A lot of people I've talked to, especially in the mortgage business, have said, you know, you've done so much in such a short amount of time. And they're not even sure that we've felt the entire push-on effect, that it flows through the market and we're still sort of adjusting to all the changes we've seen so far. They're thinking maybe OSFI would just cool off on this one, but they seem gung-ho just to keep right on it. And that's going to be the next big challenge for the market because we have uh, interest rates already on the rise. The Bank of Canada has hiked back-to-back. They might do it again before the end of this year, depending on how the economic data looks and how the labor market looks. So you're already facing higher higher borrowing costs. And then if you have to go into a bank, no matter what kind of borrower you are, right now, as you were saying, if you have less than 20% down, yeah, they want to stress test you. If they're going to stress test everybody, you're robbing about 18% of a person's purchasing power. That has got to flow through in the end to the average sale prices. Because if you can go in to a property and afford 18% less than you used to, uh, that's definitely just going to cut a big chunk of that sort of uh, that thrust uh, behind the market out of it. Yeah, it sure is. Listen, Greg, always a pleasure having you on. And uh, you and I will just have to uh, keep in touch and we'll keep an eye on the market. Always interesting things coming up. Excellent. Thanks so much, Greg. Folks, that was Greg Bennell from BNN. Hey, listen, coming up after the break, I've got Mr. Robert Hogue. So stay with me. I'll be right back. Joining me now is Mr. Robert Hogue. He is a senior economist with RBC. And Mr. Hogue, thank you so much for joining the show. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. One of the things that uh, we've been seeing a lot in the news lately is the fact that there is uh, uh, some recent reports saying housing affordability worse since 1990. Is it possible for you to kind of elaborate for our listeners? Because I don't know if people really understand what, you know, true affordability is when when you're doing the calculations. Yeah, obviously what we're looking at here is that ownership affordability as opposed to, you know, renting affordability, for example. And uh, the way we look at affordability is in terms of the uh, percentage of household income that would be required uh, to uh, pay for the cost of home ownership, and that by that uh, we mean uh, mortgage payments, um, utilities, and property taxes. So, as a percentage of household income, if you were to buy, say, for example, today at today's market price and at today's interest rates, overall in Canada, we're looking at uh, uh, this this uh, housing affordability measure to be slightly under 47%. So it would, be, it would take in Canada slightly less than, than half of somebody's like uh, income, like a, a typical family's income, uh, to carry the cost of, of uh, owning a home at today's prices. When we go back and we take a look at 1990, where was the number at that point? At that point, it was uh, much uh, closer to uh, 60%. It was uh, around 55%, in fact. We're still not there. That's overall in Canada. Obviously, you've got cities like uh, uh, like Toronto and Vancouver that are effectively in uncharted territory here, where the costs today are the highest that they've ever been, roughly speaking. Uh, but for overall in Canada, we've we've had episodes back in 1990 where uh, that 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 share of income was was higher than it is today, or at least in the second quarter of this year. But nonetheless, it it, it really means that uh, housing affordability is really stretched at this point in in Canada. When the study was uh, performed, was this based on the second quarter of 2017? Was that the numbers that they were utilizing? Uh, this is the most recent report. Yes, does does cover up to uh, the second quarter of this year, so the period from uh, from April to to June. 
Uh, right. Since then, we've 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 seen that like uh, the markets uh, have, have have moved a bit, and markets like Toronto has has cooled a little bit. But now we'll have a, a better sense of the impact on affordability and uh, in our next report. Right. And now, just so I know, the are these reports released uh, every quarter for people to have a better understanding of them? Oh, absolutely. This is something that RBC has done since the mid '80s. We're, we're covering, we're, we're uh, monitoring uh, housing af- uh, affordability in uh, in that uh, uh, using that measure. That, that that's just something that that's been done for for many many years. And it, it is a report for anyone interested that we post on our website. It's, it's so it's available publicly. Yeah, I think it's a very valuable thing because for a lot of people, you know, they get so caught up in the idea of purchasing and owning real estate. And, you know, the, the, the most recent market, obviously, the run-up, everybody got excited and they just felt that they had to and they were probably taking undue risks in, in certain parts of the market. With the market adjusting down, as, as you had mentioned, you know, we've got the GTA market that has, you know, started to recede a little um, from, from the peak. You know, we're probably looking somewhere around about a 15 to 18% adjustment from the peak as of let's say today but we still see an increase let's say year over year so september to september about 2.8 percent as far as an increase uh you know year over year when we take a look at affordability obviously there's there's you know factors that have to be brought in and if we're like looking at things such as income um what what kind of factors are you using for the calculation for income are, is, is there kind of an inflationary number like if if the market can stay if the real estate market you know matches inflation will that help when we're looking at wages well obviously the way our affordability measure works is is really as as effective if if you ignore uh, uh, the other housing costs like uh, utilities and property taxes for for a moment it really is an issue of of the the, the uh, uh, interaction between home prices interest rates and household uh, income so if you have rising income, obviously it it helps to improve affordability. Everything else remaining uh, equal. Uh, however, if you have rising prices, everything remain uh, remaining equal means it, it it does erode affordability. And, and similar with with interest rates, when you have interest rates uh, rising, it means that your mortgage payments uh, will will rise, and therefore it it does erode uh, affordability. So so it really is the interplay between those three roughly. Uh, speaking, those, those three uh, three variables. Uh, let, let me just uh, go back at, uh, uh, quickly on, on the comments you just made about the, the Toronto market, uh, uh, the, the various uh, uh, correction uh, numbers that you've quoted there. These are about uh, Toronto prices, uh, average prices that we've seen uh, moving down in the Toronto area. Uh, the correction has been much more significant if you look at uh, home resale activity. Uh, that between the month of uh, April to the month of July, for example, uh, home resale uh, fell by about 45, uh, 44%, uh, which is in our book quite quite significant. Now, the impact on prices has, has not been quite as, as material because uh, uh, the the uh, uh, supply demand equation has eased, but not to the point of becoming a, a full blown buyer's market. Uh, but uh, there's still some more downward pressure still in the system as we speak. Right now, when when but demand for the actual product doesn't really have any relevancy to affordability because if the end product is being sold and that's the actual commitment that somebody's actually paying versus their actual income and interest rates, so if if I mean 
is demand really that much of a factor? I mean, if the prices aren't running up based on demand, if we're just calculating strictly demand, is that not really, you know, it's kind of a mute point, is it not? Because end well, result is really what people are paying. Uh, at the end of the day, I think what feeds into that affordability, like I said, it's, it's, it's home prices, interest rates, and, and household income, but with more specifically uh, about uh, home prices, uh, ultimately, what determines it is demand and supply, uh, and right. so and, and the and the movements in demand and supply is does not necessarily uh, translate into an immediate uh, impact on prices. Sometimes there's a bit of a delay because of you no know, market psychology. It takes a while for a seller to accept a lower price, so there's a bit of inertia at some point. This is what we've seen. Uh, at least through the spring and early summer, and then it was a bit of a standoff between buyers and sellers in the GTA. Price is not moving that much, uh, but since then, it looks like the sellers are coming around to the fact that you no, know, we no longer have just overheated market conditions that we had at the start of this year, and are accepting or even asking for lower prices than than they would have had a few, just a few months ago. Excellent. Mr. Hogue, uh, just one last thought. Um, when we take a look at affordability, I'm pretty sure that RBC also keeps their eyes on on world markets. Um, is is Toronto and if we look at um, Vancouver, are they, are they pretty much at the top of the world affordability markets uh, or are there other markets that are, are far exceeding it? Or you mean, or the unaffordability? Yeah, unaffordability. <laughs> sort of, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, well, I mean, these are difficult to really compare to compare Apple with Apple uh, across the world. But it's it's well known fact that the market for uh, of like Vancouver, for example, is among the the most expensive uh, ones in uh, in the world. But you know, still, some would point out it's nowhere in the league of say uh, Hong Kong or Monaco or other places where you have uh, uh, prices that are just out of uh, out of this world. Uh, uh, but it is clear um, that. Uh, the Vancouver and Toronto, in particular, are very expensive. Now, whether they are more expensive than London in, in UK, I mean, it's uh, it's hard to tell. It's probably not quite there yet, uh, but it is it's quite clear that those are uh, expensive markets. Excellent, um, Mr. Hogue. Any any words of advice that you can give our listeners at this time? Well, to, to keep to, to be very cautious. I mean, what we're experiencing now is is a significant uh, uh, shift taking place in terms of uh, interest rates. Now, keep in mind that interest rates have been trending lower for almost 30 years now, and the what we've seen from the Bank of Canada this summer, in our view, signals the start of uh, of, uh, of a, a turn in that uh, in that trend. So we're looking at an upward trend. Now, I'm not saying that interest rates are going to jump significantly in the period ahead. But uh, for the, both buyers and sellers out there, this, this world of ultra-low interest rates, I think, is, is, is coming to an end. And, and the market dynamics are likely to change going forward. Excellent. Well, Mr. Hogue, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show today. I greatly appreciate all your insight. And uh, we'll definitely stay in touch and keep our eye on the market and perhaps, you know, reach out to you on your next report. So thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome. And coming up next, I have Mr. Benjamin Tall from CIBC. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. Um, I don't know how many of you remember my show last year when I had our guest, Mr. Benjamin Tall, a senior economist from CIBC Capital Markets, join me. Uh, but Mr. Tall 
Paul uh, is um, always uh, a great guest. He is a economist for many, many years. But most importantly, people always go to him to find out where the market should be going. And last year we had a wonderful talk. And fortunately today, Mr. Tall has agreed to join me. And uh, Mr. Tall, welcome back to the show. Thank you, a pleasure. Um, so when we spoke last year, we were right in the midst of a huge run-up in the real estate market. And, uh, you know, I remember, you know, listening to you and how you said, you know, sooner or later, Todd, uh, we're going to have to see this market soften up because interest rates also have to go up. And, you know, this year, here we are, 2017, there has been so much development in the real estate market. But most importantly, I thought, I thought I'd start off by asking you, did you expect the market to go as long as it did i mean you know this was a huge run-up uh, right up until this spring did did you really see it going that long yes you know what uh, until 2015 uh, i was able to explain 90 to 95 percent of the market with no problem whatsoever it was all about fundamentals it was about immigration it was supply it was uh, all kinds of fundamentals that make sense out of this madness so until 2015, it was relatively easy, and it, it was not a bubble, in my opinion. It was not something crazy. But something happened in 2016 that all my brilliant models did not predict, cannot explain. And that something is speculations and flipping. Because if I cannot explain it by demographics, by uh, supply, by the fundamentals of the market, then something else is happening. And by definition, this something else is bad. And clearly, I'm convinced that in 2016, we have seen a significant increase in speculation and flipping that led to this crazy increase in valuations, as you know, more than 20% year over year in 2016 and early 2017. And clearly, when you have this kind of situation, Gravity takes place. That's exactly what happened in Vancouver after 2015. They went exactly through the same thing. So people started to take profit. And exactly at that point, the government, the Ontario government, introduced the 16-point uh, housing uh, plan or program, uh, as you know. And the market slowed down after that. Now, it's not about the program. It's not about uh, taxes on foreigners. It's what people think those taxes will do. So it's really domestic buyers, not foreign buyers, that slow down in anticipation for an extra slowdown due to the foreign tax. Exactly what we have seen in Vancouver. And if Vancouver is a, a guide, then you will see that uh, Toronto also will not be in a free fall because Vancouver is actually rebounding. So the best view of the Toronto real estate uh, horizon is actually from Van the Vancouver Harbor. When when you and I uh, spoke, actually, back in the spring of 2016, Mr. Tall, uh, one of the comments that uh, you and I were noticing, and this was even before the uh, provincial government of BC implemented the foreign buyer tax, was it seemed like the market started to sputter. Um, you know, it had hit a certain crescendo. There was no way that, you know, people were going to continue the bidding wars. You know, people just almost got fed up with the market. There was some conversation that had the wind government not implemented their approach into the market, that perhaps we would have seen this market have a natural uh, decline. Do you think that the Wynn government did the right thing? Um, and and, and I'll, I'll rephrase that. The provincial government, I'm not just going to point out Kathleen Wynn, but the government itself, was this necessary to cool the market? Or was it, or were, were we at a point where it, the market just 
didn't have any steam left in it. Well, I think you're right. I think that the market was slowing down already, and I think that we have seen it in Vancouver as well. Actually, the slowdown started before the introduction of the tax in Vancouver. I think we'll, you know, gravity will have taken place, no question about it. And I think that the, 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 the plan, the, the, the program introduced by the government accelerated the process, which is fine. Quite frankly, I don't have any issues with 15 out of the 16 points that were introduced by the government. I've made issue with the rent control, which I believe is really an unfortunate policy. I think that that will make the situation much worse um, over time. Yes, we are going through this correction or adjustment. Yes, we might have another recession coming in the next few years and the market will slow down. But if you think that Toronto is unaffordable now, wait. You haven't seen everything yet. I think (laughs) that uh, really, I think that uh, the market will be much less affordable 10, 15 years from now, if we don't release the pressure. We need a rental solution to this market like any other big city. And if you have rent control, you don't have a rental solution and you don't have supply from a long-term perspective. And when I say don't have rent control, I don't mean allow people to double the rent overnight. I say at the minimum, just have inflation plus two. Namely, rent can rise by inflation by 2%. That will be enough for builders to build and will protect tenants. It's a win-win situation. Unfortunately, that's not happening now, and that's not a good trajectory for the long-term trajectory of the market. Mr. Toll, I think you you, you, you definitely had the prediction right. Uh, Bank of Canada has now not just done one increase, but they did two increases. Are you surprised at the short term for the second increase on the, uh, on the rates? No, we were not surprised because remember, um, the Bank of Canada cut interest rates twice in 2015. Back then they call it like emergency cuts or they call it insurance cuts because the oil prices went down, Alberta was struggling and they wanted to help and they say, okay, well, let's call it insurance. Let's cut it uh, twice. They cut by 50 basis points. Now, as you know, the economy is doing extremely well. There is no emergency whatsoever. Oil prices are back to 50 bucks. Alberta is recovering. There is no crisis whatsoever. So the Bank of Canada faced a lot of uh, pressure to actually at least undo uh, those insurance cuts, and that's exactly what they did. They basically raised it back to what it was before the cut. Now, beyond those 50 basis points, it's much more complex, and um, Polas is basically, you know, the governor of the Bank of Canada, Mr. Polas, is telling us that, uh, listen, I'm slowing down now. We undid the insurance. Now it's a totally different ballgame. I need to see wages rising. I need to see inflation. I need to see the dollars going down because the dollar is, is, is too expensive. So it seems that they are not willing to continue to um, raise interest rates very quickly. And that's why I will not be surprised if interest rates will not be rising uh, at all this year and next year it will be they will be rising very very slowly and that's a good thing because you don't want to shock the market well interestingly enough um, you know Canadians are at a record high debt right now and I think that may be one of the monitoring factors is the fact that if they do raise it you know too quickly there's going to be a lot of people that are going to get themselves into trouble and and I guess one of the biggest things that um, you know I would I would ask you now is the fact that they're looking at changing even some more uh, rules for mortgage uh, financing and qualification you know they're now looking at people that are dealing with the conventional mortgage market Um, is this sensical that they start should start putting more stress tests on people that are putting more than 20 percent down 
That's a very good question. So two things. First of all, I totally agree about the impact of debt on interest rates. What you're basically saying is that uh, the, the disease is also the cure, namely the increased sensitivity to higher interest rates will prevent interest rates from rising. And that's basically what the Bank of Canada is telling us, uh, that uh, they are looking at the debt situation and they don't want to shock the market. And they can do that because inflation is not knocking on your door. Yeah. So that's a good thing. Now, to the second part of the question, absolutely. As you suggested, the, the regulators, OSFI, are looking at the possibility of raising the qualification rate for non-insured mortgages, uh, which now account for roughly uh, 65 to uh, percent of uh, the market or, or you know of originations um, by 200 basis points. That's significant. That's that's a significant change that can really impact uh, the market and slow down uh, demand. We estimate that this can slow down demand by five to eight percent, can reduce mortgage originations by two percentage points. So it's not insignificant in an environment in which interest rates are rising and the market is slowing already. So uh, I think that uh, the communication to OSFI, and OSFI is looking for uh, you know, input, and uh, the banking sector and other players are talking to them on a regular basis. And my point is, uh, at this point, you know what, why don't you wait? There is no urgency. You know, let's wait and see how this uh, slowdown in the market uh, materializes. Let's see how things develop and stabilize. And when they stabilize, and if we see some acceleration activity, maybe you want to reconsider it. So it's not a question of doing it or not, because we do have to save some Canadians from themselves, but we also have to be sensitive to where we are in the cycle. Yeah, excellent. You know, uh, one other point, um, you, you, you had mentioned that perhaps uh, the GTA market may have a little bit of a bounce back as Vancouver did. But when Vancouver implemented their foreign buyer tax back in August of 2016, that was the only, pretty much the only thing they put into place. The uh, Ontario provincial government has implemented a lot more sanctions on working with real estate. And on top of that, Toronto's also now faced the increase in the mortgage market. Do you still believe that you know, potentially we could have a bounce like Vancouver? I think it will take longer for uh, Toronto because the timing is not great. Uh, as you mentioned, we have the changes, more changes than Vancouver. Second, uh, we have um, gravity itself still working. Then we have interest rates rising. And uh, we have, uh, you know, the possible possibility of, of, of another change to regulations. So a lot of things are happening at the same time. And that's something that probably will prolong uh, the recovery. So I suggest that, um, you know, the fall is relatively weak. The winter will be not interesting. And the big, big, big uh, test will be really the spring. I think the spring will be decent because the fundamentals of the market are still relatively strong. But um, to me, what we are doing now, and that's very, very healthy, what we're doing now is simply undoing 2016. 2016 will be a race from the history book because it will be a blip. And that's very good. By doing so, we are squeezing out some speculators, which is a very good thing. So I view this correction, which is not over yet, as a very healthy development. If it didn't happen, I would be very, very worried. So you, you, would, you would deem this to be more of an adjustment than a crash? Because again, a lot of people in the media, they want to position it as a crash of the market, but again, more of a blip where you know, we had this crazy rise up, but the real market will show itself probably in the next 12 to 18 months. I, I agree. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's a crash. You don't have the ingredients for a crash at this point. Again, accidents can happen, and that's why I encourage the regulators to wait, because if the market is slowing down and you introduce another significant change to regulations, you get an extra push on a downward down hill that can cause an accident. So that's my fear, and that's why it's so important to be careful here. 
Yeah, excellent. Mr. Tall, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us here at Simply Real Estate, and uh, thank you again. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Folks, that was Mr. Benjamin Tall. He's Senior Economist from CIBC Capital Markets. I'd like to thank my guest this hour, Mr. Greg Bennell from BNN. Always a pleasure to have Greg on with me as well. Mr. Robert Hogue, Senior Economist from RBC, and Mr. Benjamin Tall from CIBC World Markets. Um, folks, always great pleasure to have all these people on. They are so knowledgeable, and they have great information for us. Also, I'd like to thank Andre and Ian for producing the show this week. As usual, keeping it simple for me and having you tune in every single week is always a pleasure. Anyways, I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. I'll be back next week at 3 p.m. for Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.